Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host... I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Welcome back to Duke Loves Wrestling, the show about pro wrestling and everything else. And let me tell you something, folks. I have an exciting one for you this week. Three, count them, three top-notch guests we have our uh, traditional episode here with our man Harry Burkett from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. We're going to be discussing the PWI 500. That's that list of the top 500 pro wrestlers in the world. And you know I'm not happy about number one. So we're going to get into that as we always do every year. I also have a wonderful blast from the past. Che. Now she was a WCW Nitro girl. She has a fascinating life story. I mean, her family emigrated from Korea when she was 11 years old. She she didn't even speak English. She managed to to become very successful. She made it to the Atlanta Falcons cheerleading squad. She became a WCW Nitro girl. And since then, she has just really done some great work. She's an inventor, and she has an item that I think everybody can put to great use. So a little later on in the show, you're going to hear that conversation so inspirational, so informative. It's great. But before I get to any of that stuff, let me tell you something. Access TV, you know, anyone who's been listening to Duke Loves Wrestling for the past six years, you know that I have a a wonderful relationship with the folks over at Access. I love the programming on that channel, Um, going all the way back to when they had WoW Superheroes. And remember, we did the series on that, New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, now they they still have uh, Impact Wrestling, as we know. But I got to tell you, the pro wrestling, the MMA, that's always nice, but it's all about the music. Access TV grabs my attention the most with their music programming, and there's so much of it. I I just love it. I mean, I could be flipping channels, and next thing I know, I'm watching a a, uh, live concert of John Mayer. Or the other day, I, I saw Lindsey Buckingham doing an acoustic set during a documentary. So just really, really cool stuff that... It just, it grabs me, grabs my attention. I'll watch it for hours and I love it. Well, I got to tell you right now, Access TV has done it again. They have developed a wonderful brand new program. Okay. And it's something that just, it blows my mind how original and different yet exciting the show is here. And, and, and rather than me just run my mouth about it, I, I reached out to our friends at Access. I said, listen, I got to get somebody from the show to come on to Duke Loves Wrestling and, and tell the listeners about this new, their new favorite program that they may not even know exists, but they'll know now. So without further ado, from the music memorabilia series, Rock My Collection, which you can catch every Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Access TV. This guy right here is legitimately a a jack of all trades here. And, you know, you're you're really going to enjoy this here. The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Stephen Breitman, A.S. 
A. What's going on there, Stephen? Hey, Duke. Hello. I'm really happy to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me onto your show. This is a really exciting time in my life because involvement with this this show is so unique and so much fun. Uh, Rock My Collection uh, has has a great great profile for people who like all kinds of music, and I'm I'm just really enjoying my involvement with it. Uh, Ahmed Zappa is just a bowl of cherries. He is so much fun, so hilarious, and it's great to, to partner with him on this show. Um, I don't know if you've described too much to your listeners about the show, but one thing that's unique about it is we have all these guests from all over the country who talk about their collecting, what they collect, what they have, and why they collect it, and the stories behind them. That, to me, is the most fascinating thing. It's like Antiques Roadshow in the sense that people bring things to value, and the, the appraisers look at these material, and they say it's worth X amount of money. But but unlike that show, Rock My Collection is really about the collectors themselves and all the interesting stories and weird and funny and hilarious and sometimes odd stories that they bring. And uh, it's just been a hoot. Well, it, it certainly has been a hoot, and, and I've really enjoyed watching it thus far. Now, Stephen, let, let's start from the beginning here. ASA. Yes. Well, why do they call <laughs> you the ASA? <laughs> Well, I, I have a joke on this program where I say I'm a real assa, you know, and Ahmed says, yeah, you're a real assa. So ASA stands for Accredited Senior Appraiser. It's a designation that I've earned through my association with the American Society of Appraisers. It's, it's awarded to people who have passed uh, a certain level of education, specific methodologies of appraisal and through experience. And I've been doing this for about 15 years now. And uh, I'm finally an ASA, like, you know, like an MBA or a PhD. That's that's what the I'm allowed to put after my name through this association. Uh, so I am a real assa in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> a real assa. It's something that really grabs my attention here, Stephen, because, you know, we go through life as young people, and we're told, hey, you got to go to school, you got to be a doctor, a lawyer, or you got to be a plumber, you got to be an electrician, all of these different um, jobs. But you found your way into a line of work that most people don't even know exists, but it's an exciting and it's a an important line of work here where you get to actually appraise valuable things. And, and it's just, it's fascinating to me. Do you have any suggestions for any young people out there who may not necessarily know what career path they want to go down, but just learning about what you do for a living, that may be something that piques their interest? Well, you bring up a good point about appraisal in general as a career. Most appraisers that I know got into it as a as a relationship to their obsession, to their other career. For example, art dealers, people who've done deal, who've, people who've dealt with paintings and etchings and, and sculpture all their lives as maybe dealers or museum people, they get into appraisal because they know so much about their field. Similarly, I have been a record collector since a young teenage, t- young teenager, and it just kind of seemed natural. I had this 
vast wealth of knowledge. How was I going to monetize it in a way? Um, my wife was uh, studying to be a real estate appraiser at some point, and she just casually mentions, well, why don't you get your record collection appraised? I said, okay, that doesn't seem like a bad idea. Let's see what it's worth. So I went looking for an appraiser anywhere in the country who had a specialty in records, music memorabilia, you know, posters, all the related stuff that go with music collecting. And I couldn't find anybody. I I found certainly a lot of appraisers, but no one who was an expert in this particular field. So kind of a light bulb went off in my head, said, hey, you know, maybe I can do this. So I discovered the societies that relate to appraisers. I joined the ASA, American Society of Appraisers. I started studying and getting my, my accreditation. And, and here I am years later. And in terms of a career path for young people, we do want more and more people to be involved in this career. I think people who are interested in art, who are in sociology, in the stuff that humanity makes, whether it's art or automobiles or trains or machinery, all that stuff needs to be appraised for various reasons, for insurance purposes, for, for donation, for estates, for legal purposes of many, many kinds. We are actively encouraging young people to join the profession you know, from college, from, from a younger age, to join the appraisal profession. Because it can't just be old people who are at the end of their careers and know a lot of stuff. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And it's so cool. Again, this is a career path that people may not necessarily know exist, but it's exciting. And and the fact that you've been able to take it all the way to television, where you're on a major program like Rock My Collection, it's in prime time, Sundays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So it's like this is another way for people to live out their dreams. And oh, by the way, you get to talk to people in the music industry, all these rock stars, and you get to to help people appraise and put a value on all of this great memorabilia. I mean, it really is just a, a, a treat, man. It's really something fun to see here. I got to ask you, Stephen, what is the craziest thing that you've appraised thus far on Rock My Collection? Well, that's actually very easy to answer. It was not just the craziest thing, but one of the most disgusting things that I've ever had to appraise. We had a guest on who was a big Elvis Presley collector. You know, there's a lot of Elvis Presley collectors out there. You know, the king is still king. Um, But this woman had something I've never seen anything like it. She had Elvis Presley's wart. Yes, his actual wart in a little vial with alcohol. And had the provenance to prove it because she got it from Elvis's dermatologist. And there was a photograph she had showing the wart before it was taken off of his his, uh, arm. And, you know, that was just so weird. Both Amit and I had to just laugh and and our jaws dropped when we saw that thing. And, you know, the problem with that was appraising it. And what value would I put on something like that? It's definitely unique. That's for sure. Uh, and and there'd been nothing like it that in the marketplace that had ever sold. You know, no one had sold a fingernail or a piece of skin or, you know, the, the hair of, of someone. Well, there has been Elvis hair around. But but a, a, a wart was totally unique. And I just had to give it to the lady who who owned it to say, if someone offered her a million dollars, then that's the value. It would be a million dollars, you know, because there's no other way to, to, to figure out what its its potential might be.
Well, that's the beauty of the whole concept of appraising, especially when you're talking about memorabilia, because it really comes down to what one party is willing to sell it for and what the other party is willing to pay for it, right? Right, right, right. And if someone's going to pay a million dollars for it, fine. When she said someone had offered her a million dollars for it, and then she said she didn't take the deal, I couldn't believe it. I mean, Elvis's ward or not, it's definitely a million dollars is a million dollars, you know? <laughs> well, and, and that's the funny thing. You know, there's a, there's a big debate going online right now, Stephen, where someone said if, if you could uh, have an option of – receiving $500,000, so half a million dollars, or a dinner with Jay-Z, right? Which would you choose? And a lot of people are saying, well, maybe you should take the dinner because maybe you'll learn something. Jay-Z went online and he said, take the money. I mean, it's <laughs> half a million dollars. Just take the money. You know? so, <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he would know. He's a billionaire. So, so I'm watching this uh, with the lady with the with Elvis's wart, and when she said that someone offered her a million dollars for it and she turned it down, I'm sitting there saying, "Are it's a wart? I can't believe this." So, you know, if if, if she can get more than a million dollars for that thing, then she's the smartest person in the room because that is just fascinating. To me. But see, folks, this is what we're talking about with Rock My Collection. Once again, Sundays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Access TV. You're, it's not your, your typical memorabilia show. They really go and find the most interesting things. And what I love the most is the stories behind it. There are some great stories about how people uh, obtain this great memorabilia. And, and you even see some rock stars tell their stories as well, which is really, really cool. You know, Stephen, you, you're somebody who you're not just some guy on TV, which I think is very important for people to understand. You have an actual business, clearly a successful business. What, what is the best way that people can check out what you have going on through your business? I mean, do, do you have a, a website that people can check out what's going on and, and maybe reach out to you to get things appraised or what have you? Yes, yes. I have, I have a website that's actually very, uh, very popular. Google has been very good to me. It's uh, musicappraisals.com, plural. Musicappraisals.com is my website. And there's lots of information there about the different kinds of appraisals that may be appropriate for your needs. Um, you know, in appraisal, we we have different kinds of value drive different kinds of research that we do. If you want something covered by insurance, that's different than say if you're going to donate material, or if you have a divorce case, you know, and your property is being split up. That's different than if there's a deceased person and you have an estate to value. So different purposes have different kinds of appraisals. And uh, there's lots of information on the website about those and, and what you may need or not need and, and how we go about doing things. That is really, really cool. And you know, that's, that's another thing about Rock My Collection as well. You folks have the option, and this is just, it blows my mind. Fans can actually go online and they can bid on some of these things that you see on the show, right? Yes, yes. I mean, it's it's the the person who brings the stuff to us that we we showcase on Rock My Collection. They have the option of putting it up for auction or keeping it. And I'd say about half the people decide to put their material up for auction. Uh, we're using a, a partner site, uh, an auction house called Gotta Have Rock and Roll. They're a well-established music memorabilia auction house. 
And there's a whole section on their website just for rock my collection material. Um, the other thing about the stuff that we're auctioning is it's not just our guests who are auctioning off stuff. It's the rock stars too. We have an instant collectible section on the show where some rock star like Gavin Rossdale or, or uh, Todd Rundgren will sign something on air and offer it for auction through the website. And it all goes to charity. So it's not like anyone's making a lot of money on it, but we're creating an instant collectible, which is a real fun thing because you never know what these rock stars are going to have lying around their house that they're going to be willing to give us. I love it. I love it. And listen, for any of you young folk out there, first of all, Todd Rundgren, who is a rock and roll legend. Hello, It's Me is a song that's been done over a million times over, but he has a a connection to modern music. He he was just on uh, Kanye West's last album. So... You know, when you watch a show like Rock My Collection, a lot of people don't understand that rock and roll is a catch-all term. It it cannot be boxed in. It cannot be pigeonholed. That's why you see such diversity in terms of styles of music and, and people within the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Rock and roll is not one thing. It is pretty much everything. And that's what makes Rock My Collection so interesting. You, you'll see things from blues. You'll see things from, you know, R&B, uh, hard rock, classic rock, you name it. There are there's it's music memorabilia. And Stephen knows his stuff. He does such a great job. He understands what he's looking at. He clearly takes his job seriously, which is how he's able to give a lot of understanding of why he is giving the appraisal estimate that he provides. It's really just a, a, a treat to see. You're watching the sausage get made, get made, so to speak. <laughs> but it's being done in a fun way. And then you got Ahmed, who, who's just, you know, he, he has a sharp tongue and he likes to bust chops, but it's all in a playful manner. So it's just, it's really fun to see the, the uh, chemistry that you two have as well. So that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty He's cool great. Guy. He's great. We go at it all the time and I'm constantly amazed at his one liners he comes up with, you know, he's, he's hilarious at times. Definitely. He, he really is. He's quick <laughs> on his feet there. And I gotta be honest, I didn't realize that he is Frank Zappa's son. Oh, well, I, you know, there's I, not too many Zappas around there who aren't related. Good point. <laughs> good point. Good point. So that that's a really cool uh, factoid there, which, again, it just draws you in. Rock My Collection, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Sundays, Access TV. Listen, Stephen, before I let you go, I got one last important question for you. What is your prized possession within your rock collection? Well, you know, I have to be honest uh, with you, Duke, um, I have a lot of interests. I have a lot of wide ranging tastes. I have a lot of favorites. My collection is too large. I got 40,000 items in my collection, but I do have some favorites that, you know, I keep coming back to. And, um, you know, some of the, the, some of my favorite stuff is not even the rarest and most valuable stuff, but, uh, Bob Dylan's Whitmark demo, which is a prize. Um, in 1964, his publishing company, Whitmark Publishing, they put a one-sided LP out with Bob Dylan singing songs that he did not release on his own albums. They rec- he recorded these songs so other singers could know them and sing them as like a self-promotion thing. And there were only a few dozen copies of this made, a one-sided disc with him singing, I think, about eight songs that 
have appeared on bootleg in years later, but this original uh, promo disc is definitely one of my prizes in my collection. Again, you hear that storytelling, folks. You, you hear that attention to detail. That speaks to Stephen's professionalism as far as understanding the memorabilia, but also it speaks to his passion for memorabilia, all which makes the show just that much more enjoyable. Once again, folks, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Sundays, Access TV, Rock My Collection. Stephen, you are a true ASA. We appreciate you joining us on Duke Loves Wrestling. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. A lot of fun, dude. I'm Harry Burkett, senior writer with Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And I'm Kevin McElbaney, editor-in-chief of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to Duke Loves Wrestling. Wrestling. Folks, you know the Pro Wrestling Illustrated 500, literally the list of the top 500 pro wrestlers in the world. That is one of those things that is always highly anticipated. I love it. It's something that I grew up on. It's something that I look forward to every single year. I need to know. I need to know who the best wrestlers are. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's very, very important. But I got to tell you, here on the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, we, we've developed a tradition, a tradition in which a certain somebody from Pro Wrestling Illustrated comes on this show, the Duke show, and gives all the most ridiculous excuses in the history of, of the entire wrestling media life concerning the PWI 500 and why, for some odd reason, he continues to ruin my life by ranking the wrong person number one year after year after year, so on and so I, I'm going to tell you right now, I think Daniel Bryan was probably the last number one that I agreed with. You know what I mean? We're a far cry away from those days when, when a guy like Dean Malenko could be ranked the number one wrestler in the world. Okay? What we have right now is a bunch of nonsense. And what's crazy is that this has become a thing. It's a personal attack. Even if it's only in my mind, it's a personal attack. And I'm hoping that someday when I have this guy on the show, he is going to have good news as it relates to who's number one in the PWI 500. But unfortunately, 2021, we're missing the mark again. So he's got a lot of explaining to do, folks. And you know that there was no way I was going to let him get away with not explaining himself, especially with the nonsense he pulled this year. So without further ado... From the prestigious Pro Wrestling Illustrated, our man, the senior writer, the guy who tries to act like it's not his fault, but we know it's his fault. I'm not blaming his colleagues. It's all about him. Mr. Harry Burkett. How you doing, Harry? Well, Duke, I was so very excited to be on your show. It hardly feels like it's been a whole year, this annual tradition. But now you've got me kind of limping out the gate. I'm taking notes. You agreed with Daniel Bryan, which that would have been about seven years ago, 2014. You agreed with Dean Malenko as number one. That had to be 1997. And 
we've kind of agreed amongst the staff that if we could, we would retroactively take it away from Malenko and give it to Masawa for that year. But the, we're a little biased against the Japanese wrestlers because it's a, kind of a long story. Wasn't the global world it is today. I, I, but, I am so I am so upset with you right now. The <laughs> fact that you would actually have the audacity to say that you would strip Dean Malenko of one of the greatest honors of his career. Are you kidding me right now, Harry Burkett? Well, for those who are unfamiliar or young, the reason Dean Malenko made number one back in 1997 is a lot of the top stars had been sidelined with injuries or your very top stars had relatively inactive years. And so that was one of the rare evaluation periods where we chose the wrestler based mostly on in-ring skill. And that's how Malenko got number one. Now, of course, we didn't trust Malenko to be the sole person on the cover, you know, for newsstand sales. That's one of those uh, collage covers where we put about 50 guys on the cover and hope it sells. So Harry Burkett, I'm going to give Dean cool. Malenko your, your, your address and I'm going to have him stretch you. He's going to put you, not only is he going to put you in a thousand holds, he's going to, he's going to do what, what, uh, Chris Jericho says. It's going to be a thousand and one hold. No respect to Dean Malenko. I don't think he could sell a thousand magazines. That was, that was the problem. <laughs> Harry Burkett, what is got is this a heel turn from Harry Burkett? Is that what's going on right now? I'm waiting for Malenko to sneak up behind me, hit me with a chair. You know he's the Iceman, so you're not going to hear him coming, but you'll feel him, brother. It's going to be cold. It's going to be very cold. But I know what we're going to get into. We're going to get into oh, the number one and the number two. Well, we are. We are because I'm going to tell you right now, Harry Burkett, you know that Roman Reigns – for many years, he was my arch nemesis. Okay, you know this. I've been waiting for this explanation for a long time. He was my arch nemesis for many years. I didn't. I didn't. I just there was so many things I didn't like about him. I wanted him to to get rid of the contract, get out of this business, and get out of my life if he was going to continue to conduct himself in a manner that was unbecoming of who he really is. Fast forward to modern times. And Roman Reigns has actually, he, he woke up and, and smelled the coffee. He decided to agree with the Duke and be his true self. And ever since he's been his true self, the tribal chief, he slaps his cousins around. He threatens his uncles. He, he kicks people out of the whole company like Daniel Bryan. I mean, you know, Roman Reigns is being the guy that I always knew he, he was. And I accept him. He is my tribal chief. So... I need to know from you right now why Roman Reigns is not number one in the PWI 500 because it doesn't make sense, Harry. It doesn't make sense. And, and I'm going to admit that a lot of people are asking the same question. Um, some people base it based that on the fact that a few years ago he was number one. And it, you might remember that headline on the cover back when he was number one a few years ago. It read, half of you won't like this. Yeah. Um, but the fact is, he is number two because a lot of people had very good years, especially Kenny Omega. And we did have this debate during the uh, sessions we had compiling the list. Uh, I would say a majority of the writers making this decision were pro-Kenny Omega, uh, strong minority in favor of Roman Reigns. 
And my personal vote was for Omega based on the fact this is sort of a little bit inside baseball, but you may know that we have elevated a lot of titles to world title status this year. And uh, we, we just re- had recognized three world titles, you know, uh, the championship on Raw, championship on SmackDown, and the AEW title. And we added, I know, at least a dozen promotions to world title status. And I thought, well, we're putting such a premium on the championships, you know, a real pro wrestling prism. We have to pay homage to the belt collector, someone who has held belts in three promotions. That was sort of undeniable, even though Reigns had a fantastic year. And I would still make the argument that Roman Reigns was the greatest wrestling superstar uh, of the past year, but Omega was the greatest wrestler. And albeit maybe we were measuring it by old school uh, parameters, if that makes any sense. Well, Harry, I, I got to tell you, this is this is such a, a bunch of baloney, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm frankly insulted. I'm, I'm completely insulted that you would come on Duke Loves Wrestling and, and use such weak arguments to to explain. Here's what happened, because listen, I'm the Duke, okay. I got connections. I know people on the inside all over the place. We know this. There's, there's no two ways about it. I get down to the scoop. I go straight to the sources. I know that Kenny Omega, he talked to his friend, Billionaire Tony, Tony Khan. You know, Billionaire Tony, he's got that that daddy with the with the open checkbook. I think you're on thin ice with, the, with Tony Khan. You're, you're on a little bit of well, thin ice. But he jumps in my inbox, though, so I, so at least we have communication here. But, but you know, Billionaire Tony, he, he used Daddy's checkbook, and, you know, he wrote fat checks for all these promotions to look the other way while he essentially had Kenny Omega steal. He stole those titles, okay? And let me tell you something. They were strong-arm tactics because I have it on good authority that he threatened Places like Impact Wrestling, if Kenny Omega does not walk out as champion, I will buy this company and then I will destroy this company. And that's why Kenny Omega became Impact Champion. And that's why Kenny Omega had the championship in AAA. And that's why Kenny Omega is the sock draw champion. That's why he has all these belts. Because billionaire Tony is writing checks and making threats. Right? He wanted to be the, the, the champion of Duke Loves Wrestling. But what he doesn't know is Vincent Kennedy McMahon is a close personal friend of mine. So I'm not afraid of billionaire Tony and his dollars and his threats. OK, but I want to know right now and, and just be straight with me, as, as Joe Biden would say, be straight with me here, Harry Burkett. Hey, come on. Are man. you bought and paid? Are you bought and paid for? OK, did, did, did billionaire Tony get to you? Come on, Harry. Tell me the truth now. Look, he did not get to us, you know, although I, I have to point out. The AEW World Champion has been uh, number one in the 500 for the last two years. Last year was John Moxley. This year was uh, Kenny Omega. People are sensing that trend. But uh, by the by, the criteria, if you put a stock in championship gold, you have to give the nod to Omega, despite Reigns' dominance. Come on, Harry. I mean, listen, you, you and I have had this conversation before, and that's why it's embarrassing to hear you contradict yourself because – the way that you told me in the past 
whomever is the WWE champion, they should be weighted higher than anyone else because they're the WWE champion, because they're the champion of the number one promotion in the world. So automatically, they should get a higher weight. So how do you turn around? And for two years in a row, you name the number one wrestler in the world, the champion of a promotion that is still not profitable. How does that make sense, Harry Burkett? Well, I don't know how you can deny someone who can do 15 V-triggers at one match. But that aside, you are correct. Two years ago in the 500 issue, I wrote a column saying that you did have to wait the WWE wrestlers. In other words, you had to say uh, Bobby Roode, who was a mid-carder in WWE, might have a slightly higher ranking than, say, Marty Skrull, who was the hottest free agent at the time. But I would say since before the pandemic, and especially after, the wrestling world has changed. Uh, I, I don't want to say WWE is on defensive, but its piece of the growing pie, its share of the growing pie, has become smaller relative to the other promotions. So we don't have that same standard anymore. Well, again, I think it's really interesting that billionaire Tony comes around and suddenly you start singing a different tune. Harry, I'm just telling you right now, man, I'm going to get the exclusive on this. Okay, I'm going to get the exclusive on this. I'm going to find out once and for all if you're bought and paid for on this. And if you are, if you are Harry Burkett, and then I am going to bring you back on Duke Loves Wrestling and I am going to read you the riot act. I'm just telling you right now, brother. You, you got to expect it. So there's no surprises here. It's going to come straight for you, right? <laughs> this reminds me of the old column in Sports Review Wrestling called We Accuse. And it had a, a graphic of, of a finger pointing. And we would accuse a, a different rule breaker each issue of, of wrongdoing. <laughs> you know, I actually remember that. And I'll tell you right now, I think <laughs> that drawing, I think I'm that drawing of that, that finger. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's going to be right on Harry Burker. And, and again, I'm not blaming anybody else. I, I look at, uh, you know, somebody like Kevin, who is the editor in chief over there. And, and listen, you know, Kevin is, is a he's still an impressionable young man. So, you know, the lore of, of the fancy billionaire and all the money and all the prestige and all the fame. I mean, you know, Chris Jericho insulting him on national TV on Dynamite. I can understand why Kevin felt that he, he, he has to, you know, acquiesce. But that's where experience comes in, Harry. Nobody that's likes being called an idiot. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. So I guess he figured, listen, I better go along to get along because you can't fight City Hall. And, and I guess that's what's going on here. But, you know, I'm going to put together a team of Avengers, and we're going to make this right, okay? We're going to make this right because we can't stand here and have a guy like Kenny Omega. Do you see his facial hair, Harry? That alone is a reason why he shouldn't be the number one wrestler oh, in the world. I see he's going for the Harley race look lately. <laughs> or the mutton chops. Just like Triple it's H ridiculous. did. ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Next, he'll be offering That's a bounty. What's up with that? I will- well, listen, and it'd probably be on my head before anybody else's, but that's that's another story for another day. All right, so so we got Omega, who moves up 12 spaces, and Roman Reigns, who moved up 12 spaces. So that's one and two. Now, who was number three? Mr. Bobby Lashley. 41 spaces he moves up. So talk to me about Lashley. How did he get number three? Well, he had a tremendously uh, dominant year. 
I mean, the fact that he beat Drew McIntyre fairly, such dominant fashion at WrestleMania um, early on on that card, that, that was quite a statement and a surprise because if you remember, everybody was thinking that, okay, this will be when Drew gets anointed as WWE champion in front of an actual audience, but that did not happen. And in many ways, in my opinion, Bobby Lashley became the champion we thought Drew McIntyre was going to be. And so I wholeheartedly agree that he should be number three. And not to, not to mention the fact that he also beat McIntyre in subsequent rematches. So um, just up until Monday night, you know, you can make a case that, that Lashley would be in the running for number one next year, you know, if Roman Reigns slipped on a banana peel. But, um, yeah, he was a solid number three, which means Drew McIntyre was number four. So Lashley was just one step ahead all year long. Uh, and Drew was sort of became, a, in my opinion, a, more of a stale baby face than he was the, the, the previous year. Um, plus, he lost quite a few matches to Lashley, like I mentioned, WrestleMania, Hell in a Cell. Uh, he lost the Money in the Bank ladder match. So I thought Drew had a strong so, uh, showing despite not being a dominant champion. That's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. You know, I think Drew's best work is is against guys like Lashley and Sheamus. You know, these, these are clearly people that he has very good relationships with, incredible in-ring chemistry with. You could literally watch Drew McIntyre versus Sheamus every single week, and it would be very difficult to get tired of it because they just beat the hell out of each other. Just to see the you know, splotches on Sheamus's back. Exactly, right? That was grotesque. <laughs> <laughs> which one which time because it's happened over and over again <laughs> right right at, at one point i think they wrestled each other for like three weeks straight yeah yeah, yeah. on tv you know it just it's incredible it's incredible stuff here so yeah like you said drew mcintyre number four we have kota obushi number five that no good john moxley who just needs to shave his head just <laughs> give it up john i did you can do it too john just give it up yeah, uh, it's Moxley, coming. number six. Yeah, he has to. Just just give it up. Just give it up. And grow a thicker beard if that's what you want to do there. Uh, Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay, who I have a lot of respect for, by the way, because when I told him that that match he and Ricochet had a few years back was not wrestling, it was just flippy move mania, Ospreay, uh, instead of running for my comments, he, he engaged in some banter. And then I roped Vader into it, God rest his soul. And that is how Osprey and Vader ended up having that match that they had with each other. Okay. Where Vader went now, where did it I think it was in England. I don't think it was in Japan, but Vader actually traveled and had the match with Osprey. But literally it was because I started uh, basically a beef with the two of them because I told Osprey he's not a real wrestler like Vader is. And then he, he said something smart about Vader. And then I tagged Vader and Vader started chiming in and then it turned into a whole, you know, piece of business for the two. of them. So, and that was Vader's last hurrah before his passing. It, it was. It was. So if you go back, folks, to the to the Twitter uh, uh, feed there and you look that up, it, there's no not joking about that. That was the first. Those two weren't even interacting with each other before. I started that trouble. So you can blame me for however that match went. <laughs> there you go again. Good, bad, or indifferent. But I know, right? This is this is my thing. You know, I, I, I wherever there's trouble, the Duke is probably somewhere connected to it. Uh, and you know what? But, I appreciate 
uh, Osprey's number seven uh, ranking and the fact he was IWGP champion this year, because you may remember about five years ago, Osprey came out of nowhere for us to rank him number 16. And people couldn't believe that we had ranked Osprey that high. This was before most of his notoriety. And unlike when we named The Miz number one, Osprey's kind of proved his worth, that he was worth that high number 16 ranking all those years ago out of nowhere. The fact he was number seven this year. You know, Harry, there's no reason for you to be so disrespectful and so nasty. I mean, don't don't disrespect the 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 first ballot Hall of Famer, Mike the Miz Mizanin, like that. Okay, that man right there is a Hall of Famer. He is a walking legend, and the fact that he's going to be on Dancing with the Stars that tells you everything you need to know about the Miz. The Miz has earned everything he's ever gotten, including. The number one ranking in the PWI 500. Come on. Well, you you must be furious at his ranking this year, considering he did hold the WWE championship. Wait a minute. Let me see. Where is he on this list? I'm going to have to flip flip the page. Let's see. He's number 89 this year. Ladies and gentlemen, Harry Burkett is is going out of his way to be very disrespectful right now. I just want to make that clear. He is literally dishonoring one of the greatest – wrestlers in the history of the sport one of the biggest stars in the history of the sport a guy that that main evented wrestlemania and here's harry burkett running him down right now how dare you harry hey i'm not responsible for that ranking i'm just reading the list unbelievable unbelievable anyway back to will osprey congratulations will i i I tip my hat to you man you get it unlike that punk ricochet you get it will osprey and that's why i like you uh, moving on to Finn Balor, who somehow, some way, managed to be ranked number eight. Does it make any sense in the world, Harry Burkett, why a guy like Finn Balor, who had probably his worst year ever, <laughs> how he's ranked number eight in the PWI 500? What are you doing, Harry? Well, one thing we do have to keep in mind is is the evaluation period, which ran from July 1st of last year to June 30th of this year. So if you take that time frame, Finn Balor was NXT champion for a, a long amount of time. Um, not to mention he did have some great matches. He had the great match against uh, Pete Dunne. And also his match, match with uh, with uh, Karrion Cross was pretty good. So he was a fighting champion, so, sort of in the uh, traditional mode, which w- we respect at PWI. I don't know, Harry. I, I think that is just completely... I can't even say it's out of character. You 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 have these this habit of doing these off the wall things with the rankings, especially the top ten. You find a way to just completely take the wrong names and put them in the wrong places. It's like, you know, on on uh, Soul Train you used to have to arrange things on the board in, in, in a certain amount of time. <laughs> I, I would have to not. I wouldn't pass you on this one, Harry. You, you you're not arranging the names right. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, Soul Train. They would have. I'll have to send you a clip so you could see. <laughs> they would do that little thing. Sometimes. I missed that segment. <laughs> I forgot about. Yeah, that. I see. See, <laughs> now come on, Harry. Am I dating myself here? You, you young whippersnappers, you don't know about this stuff. That's that's the problem. Huh? Jeez. Okay, number nine, Shingo Tagaji, and whatever. I, I don't understand that either. That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean. For a guy like Naito to to be ranked number fifteen, but you got Shingo number nine, that that's just it's embarrassing. Again, I, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea what's going on, Harry. 
Well, it, it's true. He did not win the IWGP world title until May. But prior to that, he'd been a very strong, never open weight champion. And not to mention, to win the IWGP t- title, he did defeat Okada, which is no small task. Well, you just brought up a name that I, I find very interesting that he is not in the top 10, and that's Okada. Yeah, he's number so, 25. Mm-hmm. Here we go again, where you just, you're just doing offensive things just because you can. This is sick. I just want everybody to understand that Harry Burkett is playing with your emotions, folks, and I'm not going to be somebody who's going to look the other way on this. I'm going to tell you what's going on, okay? But number 10 is Rich Swan, and, and I got to tell you, on the entire list, that probably is the most sensible ranking on the whole list. Rich Swan absolutely deserved to be a top 10 ranked wrestler in the world. And, you know, number 10, he, he probably could have been number eight, but I'll, I'll accept 10 because that's fine. But that's great. That's great that Rich Swan made it into the top 10. Even though he did not ultimately come out on the winning end of his rivalry with Kenny Omega, he certainly uh, hung with him in those matches and proved that he deserved to be in the ring with Omega and to be considered at least in the same category, same league. So he w- he was solidly in the top 10. Let me let me tell you something. On his best day, Kenny Omega couldn't come close to beating Rich Swan. Rich Swan was paid to take a dive. That's what happened here. It's a major scandal. I'm breaking the news right now, folks. They paid Rich Swan to lose on purpose to Kenny Omega. So that's the end of that story right there. There is no way Rich Swan would have lost to Kenny Omega fair and square. He took the money, as as Harley Race would say. He took the money, okay? <laughs> so I'm just going to put that out there. I don't mind breaking news, as Harry Burkett from Pro Wrestling Illustrated is here on the show. Um, take, the the top 10. Now, take the money. Take the money. Take the money. Take the money. That's the top ten. And you had some other you know, historic things there. I mean, that was the most um, black wrestlers in the top ten in the history of the PWI 500. So that was pretty impressive there you know bobby lashley and rich swan making it into the top 10 that that hasn't happened before right harry um you know what i had not really noted that but uh, i think you're right and i and i note that Big E was is number 13 a uh, biggie so that was that's sort right. of a foreshadowing that's right that's right congratulations to biggie making it into the top 20 so at, at number 13 that's good stuff there um and, and Gresham, I mean, we we might as well talk about Gresham as well. Yeah, number twenty, from, uh, Ring of Honor, number twenty. Which do you, this guy's a specimen. Do you do you see the muscles on this guy? <laughs> yes, compact and if muscular. I, oh my! If I he, he and I are about the same height, John Gresham. If I ever see you in in these mean streets out here, if I ever see you, Gresham, I am going to challenge you to arm wrestle Harry Burkett, okay? <laughs> oh, I'm going to no. see if you're man enough to arm wrestle Harry Burkett. Not me, because I'm not a fighter, man. I'm just a talker. But I'm going to have you arm wrestle Harry Burkett, because I don't know if you can beat him, Gresham. All those big, fancy muscles of yours, can you beat Harry Burkett in an arm wrestling match? I'm just throwing that out there. Okay. Well, that, I, I'm he, signing you up for things. Well, he has the low center of gravity. I don't know if he's got the leverage. <laughs> Harry, you're not making it easy on yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just in my bunker in Maryland. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Trisha Dora. Yes. She's moved up a couple of spaces there, right? You know, she she had a a pretty good ranking there. She's in the top 200. Where is Trish? Let me me find her again. Yeah. And I should mention, we also had more women in the 500 than ever before. 
Um, the main qualification for that would be that these were women who had to uh, somewhat regularly, at least, wrestle men. So that's what distinguishes this list from the women's 150. Women's 150, that's based on women wrestling women. Uh, women in this ranking had to have wrestled men. So, so Harry, you got a little modulated there. You sounded like a robot, but it, it, to me, it sounded like you were putting uh, Trisha Dora over major. Yes, number 44, <laughs> based on the fact you know, that she held the World Diaspora Wrestling Championship. That we just promoted the world title status, and that, and that's just so awesome, uh, well deserved as well. I mean, she's a listen. If, if you have a wrestling company, because I know you all are listening right now, there's no reason for Trisha Dora to not be signed to your company. I mean, she is that damn good, and the best part about her, she's only getting better. So, you know, get on it, seriously, guys, get on it, get Trisha Dora in your company. We should have a bidding war for her because she is that damn good. Yeah, and the fact you know she's been in Ring of Honor lately. I mean, she's definitely raising her profile. She sure is. She sure is, and and she's doing it in the right way. And the support that she has is just fantastic. So once again, congratulations to Trisha Dora and all the ladies uh, who made it into the PWI 500 this year. That is so awesome. That's the way it should be. I love it. It's the, the ranking of the top 500 wrestlers, regardless of gender. I love it. I love it. I love it. And you know what? And that's an ongoing debate. You know, and I explained the criteria before that the 500 is based on uh, wrestling who, uh, women who have wrestled men. The women's 150 is women who primarily wrestle women. We keep having this debate. You know, do we one day just have a 500 list? And you list men and women, regardless of who they've wrestled. Uh, you see this a little bit in, on our ratings page now, particularly the tag team rankings, where we now rank uh, the women's tag team champions with all the male tag team champions. But, you know, I love having a women's issue and, and a magazine dedicated to the women. So I'm partial to that, really. Well, and I'm with you on that. I think that until we have more parity in wrestling, because women are not featured on TV as much as men, we do not see as many women's matches on a regular basis. So, you know, to do away with the women's list would be a step too soon. But to integrate the women into the 500, I think, is is, is fantastic. I applaud you for doing it. All of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated team. And um, I just love the fact that you continue to expand it because you're telling the truth. You're telling the full truth. There, there is no reason why somebody like uh, uh, Trisha Dora shouldn't be on the PWI 500. I mean, why not? She wrestles men. She wrestles women. She will wrestle Harry Burkett. I mean, you know, she's not afraid of anybody, man. So that's the way it should be. There's no two ways about it. And she's certainly not wrestling the same competition every night. And she travels she sure quite does. a bit. So you got back she to sure that does. She, But I mean, you know, she's, she's former military. So this is a person who can kick everybody's you-know-what. So I, I wouldn't mess with her. That's for sure. That's right. Now, I, now <laughs> listen, we, we talked about the top 10. We talked about a little bit in between. Come on. Everybody wants to know about number 500. Okay? That is one of the most visible spots. It might be the second most visible spot on the whole list. Second only to number one. Number 500 is someone I've never heard before, Harry. 
Lulu Pencil. What is going on with Lulu Pencil? Well, quite frankly, I didn't know a lot about Lulu Pencil either. Uh, she's what I would describe as one of those uh, one of those adorable Japanese women, sort of like a, a Maki Ito, someone of that nature. And she does wrestle men. Now, she doesn't always win. You know, she doesn't have a stellar record wrestling men. But it was enough to land her legitimately number 500 because, you know, we've talked about this before. Number 500 used to be the joke position. You know, Garbage Man or Don E. Allen. Everybody, if you couldn't be number one, you wanted to be number 500 so you could be part of the punchline. But these days, 500 is not a punchline. You, you are still a very credible wrestler if you're number 500. Well, that just means I have to go online and I have to start consuming a lot of Lulu Pencil. And I, I've seen on Twitter that she's been uh, sending messages back and forth with, with Kevin. Uh, I think they're in, in, in battled in a Twitter war of sorts because she put her, her face on the cover of the 500. And I think there's actually a digital version <laughs> of Lulu Pencil on the cover of the PWI 500. So that's that's pretty hilarious there. And, and uh, you know, shout out to Lulu Pencil. Congratulations. Uh, arigato. Uh, you know, that's that's good stuff there for you. Well, What's that? Maybe we should have put maybe we should have put Omega on the front cover. And Lulu Pencil on that the back. No, that's that's an idea for next time. I love it. That's the way it should be. But I, now I got to ask you about <laughs> about uh, one other thing, though, Harry, and that is the guy who has been Mister Five Hundred One for a number of years now, the Boston Badass Steve Savage. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, he how, how is this guy able to maintain his his uh, self proclaimed uh, spot as Mister Five Hundred One? Well, uh. You know, he's really challenging us because he really does taunt us from afar. And he keeps inviting us to these shows that he main events, but we never go to them. So it's sort of an awkward situation. But he's still on the cusp. That's what I would say. He's still on the cusp, Mr. 501. You know, maybe if he just had like one more win, just one more, he, he could have uh, gotten Lulu Pencil's spot. But uh, maybe next well, year. Well, I think the only way to settle this is to have the Boston badass Steve Savage go against Lulu Pencil. I think the two of them, whether we're talking uh, a, a, a physical match or whether we're talking a match online where they play in one of the wrestling video games, but I, I think Lulu Pencil versus the Boston badass Steve Savage, I think we need to see some kind of competition here to find out once and for all who should be on the back cover of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I think that that would be a, a great idea. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to put that together. I'm a matchmaker now too, Harry, if you haven't noticed. So that that's a clash of culture, clash of styles, fighting for the back cover. That, that's terrific. we got to make the whole issue matter, Harry. Don't you know that? The whole thing. <laughs> now, now, listen, what, what do we have coming up? Is there anything exciting that we should uh, look for on the horizon other than the fact that the 500 is hitting newsstands soon? Well, uh, we have two big issues coming up. Just keep an eye out for them. We do our big list issues three in a row. You know, the women's 150 is coming up. Our tag team list is coming up. And you'll notice it's not women's 100 anymore. We've actually gone up to 150. Um, so I should mention the issue that we're talking about right now, uh, the 500 issue is the December 2021 issue. It's already on sale digitally. Uh, the print edition will be released September 28th. 
You can pre-order a, a physical copy at pwionline.com. And uh, I will note, we do have a redesigned website that our editor-in-chief, Kevin McElvaney, really worked hard on. And, you know, this has been kind of a running joke between you and me, Duke, about how backward and how 1995 our website was. It's much improved. Or, of course, you can buy the magazine at your local newsstand. Um, and I would recommend people listen to our PWI podcast with Al Castle and Brian Solomon. Um, two of the smartest guys following the wrestling business. And one thing I really like is you can now get your Matt Brock t-shirt and those are for sale at whatamaneuver.net. Hopefully uh, Liz Hunter tube tops coming soon. <laughs> Listen, you're digging in the crates now, man. Only we old timers even know who Matt Brock is. So, you know, or Liz Hunter. Well, you know, according to my research, uh, in his debut column back in 1974, he said that he was 61 years old. Unbelievable. So if we do our math, Unbelievable. I guess he would be about 111, some, something wow. like that. My math well, is he's clearly, off. you know, he has the secret of life going on because the guy is still going strong. He might have the antidote for all these problems we have in, in this society here. So, geez, <laughs> you know, Matt, if you're listening, hit me up, brother. I want some of that. I want to know what you're eating, Matt. That's Burke. right. That's my goodness. And, and listen, Harry, I got to say, you know, despite the fact that I'm very upset with you over Kenny Omega being number one in the PWI 500, I will say I am just completely over the moon with the way that Pro Wrestling Illustrated continues to lead the charge in terms of diversity, in terms of variety. You know what I mean? You You have such a wide list of people contributing to all of Pro Wrestling Illustrated's um, offerings there, even your YouTube, which is, is something that I just recently started checking out. And I think actually it, it may just be recently launched. Your YouTube channel for Pro Wrestling Illustrated is incredible. I mean, really some great interviews with some of the top stars in pro wrestling. And it, it's just so fun to check that out as well. Uh, you, you mentioned the podcast. You mentioned the new website. Obviously, on Twitter, you guys are mm -hmm. on fire. You're on top of things. You're responding all day, every day from the PWI uh, official page on Twitter. Like, I just, I, I love the fact that Pro Wrestling Illustrated continues to be so inclusive, and yet you have not sacrificed quality in terms of making sure that you're you're finding out who's out there, who we should know about. Who deserves to, to get these features? Because that's the other thing. Some of your featured articles from Righteous Reg, from Kristen, I mean, you know, Candice, some of your featured articles, you, it, it, it's just, it's like, wow, this is the PWI that I grew up with in terms of how interesting this is to, to open up the magazine and learn more about wrestlers who I thought I knew about or even discover some wrestlers I, I didn't know anything about before I read about them in your magazine. So just really kudos to you and the whole team over there. You folks are doing a great job. Well, thank you very much. Uh, PWI's strength has been its ability to evolve over time, change with the times. And if you haven't read the magazine in a few years, if you pick it up today, you'll notice uh, some changes as far as it's, I call it a little more global, you know, uh, more about Japan and Mexico, a uh, little more indie oriented. Of course, uh, it'll probably be a WWE guy or an AEW guy or gal on the cover. 
But uh, hey, even and that even that could change over time. It's just when you get it now, you really feel like you have the whole industry in your hands. That nothing, no aspect is being neglected. You're absolutely right. So, so again, Harry, why don't you plug away? Tell everybody how to get to the to the, the website, the, the YouTube, the Twitter. I, I'm sure it's pretty simple. It probably all is just Pro Wrestling Illustrated, right? Right, right. And I, I really high, highly recommend pwi-online.com because right there uh, you can pull up our podcast. Of course, you can pull up our podcast, you know, wherever you get your podcast, but it's right there on our homepage. And uh, one particular thing I like is our weekly ratings. Uh, we up, update those ratings every week. I know Thursday nights, you know, we get our assignments, you know, which promotions, you know, which member of the ratings committee is supposed to be watching that week. And we follow it and we check the wins or losses and we take great pride in having very accurate ratings. So even that I think is worthwhile. Well, Harry Burkett, hold on. That is that is my uh, special robot. You know, I have a Rosie here, and she lets me know anytime any doors or anything opens up. She actually says back door, so it's pretty cool. Um, anyway, yeah, mm. I'm, listen, I'm high tech over here, Harry. Don't you know I'm high tech? That's right. <laughs> I think so. so that so that's what I'm saying. If billionaire Tony and any of his henchmen try to uh, make a move here, I'm going to know that they're coming. I got all the gadgets here. We're watching. That's well, right. And by the way, Dean Malenko, I didn't mean anything. No, that I said no, that. and that's what I was going to bring us back to here. I'm personally going to uh, contact Dean, and I'm going to give him all your information, Harry. And uh, I just hope that you're prepared for a thousand and one holds. I think I'll need a Rosie here. Hi, this is Earl Oliver from Sully's Finish Wrestling. This is Raj Geary with WrestlingInc.com. This is Sean Reed, boxing writer and undercover low-key wrestling fan. And you're listening to a scoop. Love wrestling. Hi, everyone. This is Che, one of the former Nitro Girls from back in the days. And you're on with Duke Loves Wrestling. Wow. Talk about a a pleasant blast from the past. Che, oh, my Ah. goodness. I mean... (laughs) You know, the the only time I see you these days is, is mostly on YouTube and you better or, or the WWE network. And you better believe people are still checking you out there because you are such a major part of our lives. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Duke. Pleasure to talk to you. Well, it's it's a pleasure to have you on. And I mean, legitimately, you were one of the Nitro girls. So World Championship Wrestling, you know, when when Monday Nitro started, which really revolutionized the entire wrestling industry you are one of the main pieces of the puzzle that gave the show that excitement that entertainment factor um something that lets you know that this was bigger and it was unlike any other wrestling show that we had normally seen Mm -hmm. how does it feel to to legitimately be a pop culture icon especially all these years here Oh my goodness. So I've never considered myself any kind of, you know, the icon or even pop culture. Um, and, and I, and I assure you, I'm speaking for the rest of the girls too, because we've stayed in such close contact, you know, through the years. Um, so I have to admit that when we tried out for Nitro, 
I really didn't know anything about WCW. Of course, everybody knows Hulk Hogan, just because my grandpa used to watch him. But um, at the time, I was training for the Atlanta Falcons. And Kimberly, when she started the process of um, looking for girls, she, Amy, which um, AC Jazz, she was one of the girls that, um, that Kimberly went to for help. And Amy, having been one of the Falcons cheerleaders previous, she said, you know, let me reach out to the cheerleaders and just set up a private audition for you and just bring on the cheerleaders. So for me, it was kind of one of those I went because there you know, a bunch of people went and it was interesting to hear about some kind of a TV show looking for dancers, right? So who wouldn't go? Um, so even when I made it, I really didn't know what it was. And, um, you know, I used to live in Savannah before I moved to Atlanta for, to chill for the Falcons. But so I went, visited back and I, I ran into a friend of mine um, and her boyfriend was a manager at this, like the biggest and the hottest sports club or sports, not club, sports bar in Savannah. So in conversation, you know, they were asking what was going on. I said, yeah, I just um, made this dance team on some TV show on Monday night, something about Nitro. And, and like he did a double take and go, what'd you just say? <laughs> I said, something Nitro on a Monday night. He said, WCW Monday night Nitro. I said, yeah, that's it. And I'll never forget, we're in the middle of the parking lot. And he, I think he might have actually fell over. I mean, he just like took a couple steps back. And he was like, oh my gosh. And he just went, he just could not believe it. And I just looked at him like, is that a thing? <laughs> and he, you know, and obviously Monday night for his business was like the biggest night and because they hosted the um, Monday night Nitro party. So um, again, us going into it, we didn't really know what we were getting into. And, um, and let me tell you, it really was the time of our lives. But it's kind of good that we didn't know what we were getting into because I, I think I would have been way too nervous Um had I known the magnitude of, of what it was to become. But then again, at the same time, people didn't know what it was. It was like a brand new concept. So even if I knew how big the wrestling show was, I probably wouldn't have known really even then like what it could become or what it ended up becoming. You know, and, and it's really interesting. And, and I think it says a lot about your entire life story, because you seem to have these moments where you find yourself in the middle of something that is a big deal. And mm -hmm. it's like, you're living it. So you don't even have time to really stop and realize, oh, wait a second. Right. This is, this is a thing. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I, I mean, want to take a step back for a second, because I don't mm -hmm. think a lot of people know your story, really. And, and let's start with your name, because I, I've heard your name pronounced so many different ways. And I want to get the the once and for all, be all, end all. What is the proper way to say your first name? Well, my Korean name is Che. But when we came to the States when I was 11, um, just the way that the immigration translated, translated the spelling of my name, it, they, they did it C-H-A-E. So it's a harder, like a chair, C-H sound. So it's Che. Um, but that's okay. I've really heard Shay or Softers, Che. It, it really does not matter. I'll just worry when they don't call me at all. 
So I'm just tap yes. Either one is fine. But really, the spelling pronounces it Che. So it's it's Che, be yeah. all end all, not necessarily Che. Although you're okay with that, but it's Che. I am. So I am okay with it. Why be picky, see? right? <laughs> that's right. That's like you said. At least they're calling you. If they don't call you at all, then you got to be worried there. Right. Um, you said you said when you came here from Korea. Yes. So you were 11 years old when you when you migrated to the United States. Yes. Yes. So we were. Wow. Um, I was in first grade when I guess. So it's my dad's older sister that lived in the U.S. who was, um, you know, who's a U.S. citizen, sponsored us. So she started the visa process when I was in first grade, and then. We were, you know, we got the word saying that we got our visa in fifth grade when I was in fifth grade. So that's when I came when I was 11. That is tremendous uh, because, I mean, you're you're at such a young age, an impressionable age. You know, you're still trying to figure out who you are and what life is about. And then you come to a totally different country. Let me tell you, talk about impressionable. So, um, so, you know, it took us several months to kind of get everything in order to pack up and just get our affairs in order to before coming. So I thought I was going to be smart and I thought I'm going to teach myself how to speak English. So I snuck around and, and I watched some um, TV channels that's there for the U.S. servicemen, right? American TV channels. Unfortunately for me, back in the early mid-80s, two of the most popular shows at the time that I watched, that snuck and watched, were Dynasty and Dallas. Because at least right now with the internet, you can find out, you can, you know, you can know anything and everything about the way people live and what the country is like. But back then, you really didn't know. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to watch American channels and I'm going to see how they live. So, all right, so I'm going to live, I'm going to ride horses all day long. And I'm going to wear pretty dresses and go to parties at night, like in Dynasty. So my only dilemma I had coming to the States in the long 14-hour flight was what color horse I wanted. So that goes to show you (laughs) impressionable. I mean, that's the impression that I had before coming here, just completely out of touch. You know what's so funny about that too, Che? My mom is is originally from Jamaica, and she came here when she was 17, so she was a little older. But the mm-hmm. same same concept, though. Her right. whole impression was what she saw in the movies, yep. heard on the radio, maybe yep. saw on TV a little later. So then to come here and you realize that the streets aren't actually paved in gold. And, right. <laughs> you know, and yeah. crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Like there are people who go without in our homeless or hungry or, or what have you. And it's like, really? Yeah. In the U.S.? Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. That's something. That's something. So did you did you actually um, know English before you got here or, or were you here and, and, and you couldn't speak English initially? Right. I knew zero. Well, no, I have to say from watching those couple of shows, um, I walked away with useless, you know, expectations. <laughs> well, not useless, but just very overblown expectations. And I did get, I did walk away with knowing to say yes, no, thank you, no, thank you, and I don't know. So, and then I, I, I use I don't know a lot because whenever somebody would 
say something and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so yes, so I had to learn English. So I have to tell you, so here I am expecting, you know, to come to like a big sprawling ranch like South Fork, like in Dallas. Instead, we came to live with my aunt who lived in Michigan and we came in middle of December. So it was just not what, you know, this little girl, you know, was just expecting or thought that she was about to, you know, live in. But, um, and then after a few weeks of, you know, being in the States, the school started back up in January. So my, you know, family just kind of threw me into school and said, okay, sink or swim, here's your dictionary. <laughs> that is just something else. That Now, I know because, you know, we did a little research uh, beforehand there. You found sports. Yeah. And this was unusual because, you know, sports wasn't necessarily the big thing uh, in Korea, right? It's, I mean, it is not, a, even now, it's not a big thing um, in Asian, Asian culture. It's, you know, everything is about academics, everything's about very prestigious professions, you know, like doctors or lawyers or, you know, corporate CEOs or, things like that it's even so now so it was definitely that way back then but you know just something in me i i guess you know i just knew that it was such an opportunity to be in the states i knew that before coming to the states this is where everybody in korea wanted to be you know it's they want they we've been hearing about the land of opportunity and all the american dreams you could achieve with hard work and so, because in Korea, things were different at the time. Um, so, you know, it doesn't matter just because you worked your tail off really didn't mean that you would, you know, you just didn't, the opportunities really weren't there. So, so knowing that everybody was envious of us, I just knew that we, this was an opportunity that didn't come around often and definitely not to everybody. So I kind of had this thing where I wanted to try everything. I didn't want to let one opportunity pass me by. And also to seeing my parents so grateful for the chance that they, they took in their 30s. I mean, not knowing any language and not having enough money, they just took this huge chance and bring my brothers and I here to give us a better chance at life. So in a way, I felt like I owed it to them to experience it all. So once I started to speak English pretty well after a couple of years in seventh grade, when all the school sports started, I tried out for everything, even though I didn't know how to, even though the only time I played like basketball or volleyball was in gym class. But, uh, you know, I just, and, and at the same time too, I have to say, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I have one right leg and one left leg, not two left legs. So I was somewhat coordinated. So I was able to kind of catch on quick. And I was good enough to make the team, but not to start, but anything like that. But um, yes, I tried out for everything. I even like went out for the school had a hoop shot contest. And they picked one girl winner, one you know boy winner. And you know they went on to district and regional. And I was the girl for our school. I, I won the hoop shot contest. And, uh, and then I went to district, and I won district, which is like complete. And, and I didn't know anything about sports. So I showed up. My uh, The basketball coach came to pick me up to take me to district. And I walk out in a pair of jeans. 
<laughs> you know, not like some sweats or anything like that. So anyway, but um, yes, I tried out for every sports and then I tried out for cheerleading in seventh grade. From there, I um, did cheerleading in high school and dance team in high school and did dance team in college um, and so on. What, what I love about that is there's a common theme here of you being someone that's willing to take a chance. Yes. That's willing to bet on yourself. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And and you're determined to actually accomplish your goals, which is pretty clear, because like you said, I mean, you didn't have a background in sports and what have you. And yet you would participate in whatever sport they would let you participate in. I mean, that's that's awesome. Awesome. You know, awesome. Awesome. I don't know if I at the time, it's almost like I think it, my goal was to give it a shot foremost. And if I make it great. You know what I mean? But it was if the opportunity is there to try out, why not? You know, and and I think a lot of the times in life we want something, but the fear of not getting it or like I didn't. Of course, the thought of me um, not making it crossed my mind. But for me, that wasn't really what, what I focused on. I focused on one opportunity at a time to find out what would happen, you know? And I think if we look too far ahead, well, what if I don't? Well, then then it's, it's almost like just take a step at a time. Try it. And if you don't, then handle it from there. Why are you fixating on what if I don't even before you try? So I think for me, the goal really wasn't to make the team. The goal is to go for every opportunity if there's a door that's open and I'm, you know, hey, yeah, you can go in if you want to. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm going to try it. Let's go for it. You know what I mean? What's on the other side? Let's find out once I get there kind of a thing. Yeah, you know, and, and I think I really have to say I have, I have to, I owe it to my parents, really, because even I don't even know after all this that I've experienced, if somebody were to say right now, take all your kids and your husband and you guys go to some foreign land that you know nothing about. And but that, by the way, it's they don't even they don't use the same alphabets. It's completely different character, and you don't know how to speak. You don't know how to communicate. So yes, that's um, I think it's my parents that just kind of instilled in me to just go for it <laughs> and you know sink or swim because really, you know, what if you swim, and what if you swim well? Don't worry about sinking because you really won't die. <laughs> Well, speaking of which, talking about uh, swim and swim well, you recently launched a product that you invented. So this is something that you've been thinking about, uh, a problem that in your life that you wanted to solve and you knew that other people have a similar problem. So it's like, man, if we only had this and instead of allowing it to just be an idea, you've brought it into real life, something called ring along. So yeah. I'm going to take a step back here. I'd like for you to just let everybody know what is Ring Along and why is it something that they absolutely want to invest in, get for themselves, get for their loved ones and what have you. Wow. Okay. So Ring Along definitely came out of necessity. So traveling as much as we did all over the country and the world, um, it was really tough trying to keep all the little things um, organized and, and easily accessible. 
But it really wasn't until motherhood came when, you know, I'm having two toddlers and infant and, and on top of my necessities, because I mean, all parents know that you're like a walking drugstore, right? At any moment, your kid can like really starve to death or bleed to death. So, you know, you have to have snacks ready and, 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 you know, band-aids and all that kind of stuff. So I really struggled with the conventional or the traditional way of, of organizers. And, and, and that's what's kind of mind-boggling because as much as this technology has advanced, the way that we organize kind of remained the same. The options, you know, we still had the same age-old problems. And the solution were just still same old age solutions. I mean, you have either the inserts or, you know, or they have, you have multi-compartment pouch bags. But even so then, there was nothing that was very innovative about the way we organize. And well, so what I would end up having, always go back to, is just individual separate pouches to keep certain things separate, you know, not running into each other and mixing all together like in a big, bottomless pit of bags. So one day I was um, digging through this bunch of different pouches, including Ziploc bags, which is find something that I needed. And I thought, gosh, if there's a way I could just keep it all together at once. So that way I'm not digging everything. If there's a way that it can be held together, was displayed where I can look in, I can see all these different pouches and different color, different shapes and sizes or materials. And I know what you know, like, like, let's say I know where my car key, like, you know, my reading glasses are, whatever. And then I thought, okay, what if, um, and my initial idea was all these different pouches having a grommet, like a hole on the corner, and where you uh, have like a large round ring that has got the opening, like a spring hinge, and keep it all together. And that was an idea. I'm like, okay, that's good. But at the same time, I needed to be so easily accessible and user-friendly. If I have to like spin my ring opening around to get to where I take out one certain pouch, I mean, that's not as user-friendly as I want it to be because for me, organizing never came easy for me. So if it wasn't really user-friendly, it was hard, like, you know, I really didn't keep up with it. So anyway, I thought, well, then what about if instead of having just grommet holes in, in the corners of these pouches, storage pouches, what if I put a smaller spring ring on the corner? And this like, you know, the spring ring is probably size of a silver dollar. And, um, and then, and what happened is, so that way, and you just push down on the opening of the spring ring of the, each pouch, and then you can just unclip it from that host ring so you don't have to be spinning around the whole string so much easily. So basically what it is, it's, it's, um, it's, there are pouches of different sizes and materials because, you know, certain materials we want it to be clear because we can see right away. Certain things we want to keep private, so you want to use solid, you know, not, you know, see-through kind of material. And it's held together um, in the corner. And what happens also, too, is with bags, you can clip that host ring, which is about three inches in diameter, you can clip it around like the strap of your bag. And what that does is it holds all the pouches up to the top, where when you look into your bag, it displays all the pouches neatly across the top of your bag. So there's, you know, there's no one pouch on top of each other. 
And, um, and this, you know, so if you have a host ring, like what I did with my kids with their, they play multiple sports. So I put host rings on their like baseball bags on my daughter's lacrosse bag, um, on my, you know, son's football gear. And what I do is, and I have this little, you know, and each one of them have a little bag and it's their cell phones and maybe some change for snacks or something, or even snacks. It's so easy to just unclip it and just easily move it from one bag to another. Pouches that's kept together that can be easily removed with just one finger push on the top and the corner, and then it can be clicked back just as easy as retrieval. Each one of these pouches also has another spring ring, small spring ring on the other corner of the pouch. What that does is you can clip on any bag strap on any of these pouches and you can wear any of the pouches as an individual bag. So like for moms, if they have a huge bag of diaper bag and all the stuff that the kids need, and if you have um, one bag with like diapers and wipes and you're just going into the playground for an hour, why take the whole diaper bag with you? Just leave all that behind and just unclick the pouch with diaper and wipes, click on a back strap and wear it as crossbody. So that way you don't, you can leave what you don't need behind and just take what you need with you. I have a big English lab and he takes me on walks because he's so strong. So I, I put harness on him and then there's a little D ring on the top of his harness where you clip the leash onto. Well, guess what? Like, I don't want to carry my phone. So what I do is I just click one of the, one of my little pouches on that D ring and I'm let him carry my little pouch with stuff that I don't want. You know what I mean? Wow. So, so that sounds really, really interesting there, uh, Che, because like you said, it's not just for women. And, and, and you're making me understand this here. Um, as a guy, you know, like you said, the gym bags are big. Uh, everything that we have, most of the things that are made traditionally for men tend to have deep pockets, which means that it's, it's very easy to, for things to get lost deep down in there and what have you there. But if I had an organized way to be able to separate whether it be my chapstick from my phone, from my, my, my money, from whatever is in my pocket, because guys always have a million things in their pockets. And this product could clip on if you're walking the dog, you know, the dog's leash usually has a little D ring on it or what have you. You could, you could clip it onto the dog. If you're, if you're walking the baby and you have a carriage, you can clip it onto the car. So, so there's so many different ways that you can use your product in a functional manner, it's really something for everybody, right? Oh, it's it's for it's for everybody that they carry items, right? I mean I can see it in, in backpacks and, and I have it in my kids backpack. Um right in sports bags and gym bags and travel when you're traveling. I love it. I love it. I, I think it's a great idea. And, you know, I, I put it to the test. So I asked a couple of folks in my life who I know have little bags and what have you because they have so much stuff, mm-hmm. makeup and and, and, you mm-hmm. know, and these days your hand sanitizer and your <laughs> and your lotion because your hands get dry. You're this. So there's there's you need some type of 
on-the-go storage. Um, right. And I said, hey, does this make sense to you? Explain this to me. And yeah. sure enough, you know, my my bodyguard and a, another friend of the show there, uh, uh, Candice Smith, mm-hmm. you know, she's mm-hmm. over there at PWI. The two of them said the same thing to me. They said, oh, my God, I want I want that. That's great. It looks great. It looks sturdy. And one of the call outs that I found was really interesting. They said that it's actually functional, yet it's still stylish. And I guess that's an issue where you either have one or the other. You either have a product for for this on the go storage here, which is functional, but it looks ugly or the flip side. It's Mm -hmm. it's beautiful, Mm -hmm. but yet it's just not functional. It's not for real life. You right. fa- you managed to solve both of those problems there, and, and I commend you for it. Thank you, really, so much. It's um, I can you know I can never really honestly hear enough um, words of validation for it. Especially, it's your idea, and you tie yourself with it. And um, and you know there's a lot of times that you go through a lot of self doubt, and I think it's your only human nature. But um, it's really appreciative when I do hear some validating words. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once again, folks, it's called Ring Along. In a minute here, we'll, we'll let you know how you can get more information. Definitely, definitely. I mean, listen, the holidays are coming up and beyond. You know, we're back to school right now. Who isn't constantly on the go? So yeah. to have something functional that can not only organize your products, but you know that it'll come along with you and you don't have to worry about it. I mean, that's that's just a, a major quality of life problem being solved here. Um, but before I get to how to get to it here, I, I want to say this to you, Shay, because doing Duke Loves Wrestling, um, I've been fortunate enough to speak to people from all the different generations of pro wrestling who are still with us. And some of them are doing very well, some of them not so well. Mm-hmm. on many different fronts here. But one of the main points that keeps popping up is just life after wrestling. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, that is so difficult. And because you feel like you, you don't have anything else to give because you've been doing this one thing for so long and you've, you've spent so much time and dedication to getting it right. And then ultimately when it's time to move on, it paralyzes a lot of folks. You've managed to find a way to have life after wrestling. And Mm -hmm. here we are even 20 years later, and you're still thriving with this latest invention here. Do you have any words for people who are inside of wrestling right now, or even folks who retired or even anyone in entertainment? Do you have any words for, for folks who are trying to figure out, is there really life after this thing that I'm doing right now? I think the most important thing is is to step outside the box, the wrestling box of the persona, you know, the fans, um, the, the financial security, and um, the feeling of validation. You need to step outside of it and look at it and realize that that is really not who you are. You have to get in touch with who you really are before all that happens. You know, what is what drives you, who makes who you are, and why should people love you? Not because, you know, you're 
two-time world champ or or because you know not because of what is happening in that small box because you know that that little box you have to think of it as it's just like a it's a it's a, it's a phase and time of your life but it's not your life wise words wise words without a doubt there listen shay why don't you tell everyone the best way that they can check out ring along and really anything else that you have going on because you are a person that like you said you have a, a mechanical way of thinking you're always tinkering you're trying to fix something youtube or hgtv whatever um you're a person that wants to use her mind and her hands and create What's the best way folks can find out more about Ring Along and also just keep in touch with you? Um, so my website is ring-along.com. And in the name is Ring Along because obviously, you know, there are a bunch of spring rings on these pouches. So that's, you know, just like take Ring Along with you kind of a thing. So it's ring-along. And I'm very late to social media. Um, but, you know, with with launch of my Kickstarter campaign, I've um, been trying to get be active in it. But I have two Instagram. One is at Che underscore Marsh, M-A-R-S-H. That's my last name. And another Instagram account is at Ringalong. Right now, I have my Kickstarter campaign. Um, it ends next no, it ends the 25th at 3.11. 3.11 is a special, so I picked 3.11. And um, so 25th, it ends at 3.11. And I am currently about 63% to my goal. Um, it would mean a lot. It would really help me to, um, it helped with the cost of that initial production to get this, really bring this business, bring along to life. I promise you, it will help you stay organized better. Not just you, even the people around you and your family and your kids. Wow, that, that is just so cool. Once again, ring along. Literally, as you're talking, I checked out the Instagram. Some really cool stuff there, folks. So you can actually see it in action there and get some ideas of all the different cool ways that you can use the ring along. This is awesome. This is awesome. And, and this is what we're talking about. Life after wrestling people who are able to find ways to direct their passion into other avenues and, and really, you know, continue to create opportunities, not only for themselves, but for others. So it's just really, really inspirational, your whole story there, Che, and, and I appreciate you uh, for coming here to share it. I do want to ask you one last really important question before I let you go. Yes. This is a big one here mm -hmm. because not only does Duke love wrestling, Duke loves food. <laughs> so you are someone who your your family is from Korea. Yes. And yeah, I know that you've been here since you were 11 or what have you, but come on, you, you, you got to let me in here. Is there a, a, a Korean dish? Let's say I, let's say that there's a Korean restaurant here in the, the greater Boston area. And I know that we've had them before. If I'm going there and I'm going to order something and everything is available to me, everything is available. What's the one dish that you recommend I should order? What's in it? Why is it so great? Hmm. Well, it really depends what kind of foodie are you. 
um, if you're anything like my husband, it would just he you would he would you would go probably want to go with it's called pulgogi or kalbi. It's it's marinated meat, right? But because he you know anything else, little too spicy, and you know you, he has to lock himself in the bathroom for the rest of the day. So he's got a very sensitive stomach. Oh my gosh, so embarrassing. But um, so, are you adventurous with your palate? Do you like spicy food? I'm adventurous, but I'm I'm more like your husband. I, I like I like a little spice. Think think uh, Frank's Red Hot. Have you ever had that hot sauce, Frank's Red Hot? Yes. It's it's more tangy than spicy. You know what right. I mean. So there's a little yeah. kick to it, but it's easy. So do you, do you have something that that won't you know make me have to go rush to get a glass of milk or something? Well, here's the thing: the way that the Korean food is, there are um, a lot of side dishes, and these side dishes are you know think of it as like when you go to a restaurant, right, and you order a steak, and you have your options of like cream spinach or um, mac and cheese and those kind of side dishes, right? And then, you know, that's in the order a la carte. Well, Korean food, there are so many different kinds of types of side dishes. And it ranges in spiciness and some is spicy, some isn't. And most of those side dishes are made from different kinds of vegetables. So the best thing to do to get you introduced into Korean food, to, to check your palate, to feel like it, go to a Korean restaurant. And anytime you go to a Korean restaurant, all those side dishes, it's like going to a Mexican restaurant where they give you chips and salsa. Whatever food that you order, whether, you know, if you, like my husband, you want to order like bulgogi, which is, you know, it's, it's very, del- it's delicious marinated meat and it's, um, it's, it's grilled. And, and you can also even grill it on your table. They, they bring out a um, pan for you. like a, It's like a griddle kind of a thing where you can grill yourself. So I would start with that so because, you you know, there's a meat. And then what you're going to get are all these amazing side dishes of different um, flavors and different vegetables. So this way you can try a little bit of everything. So my my advice to you is just find the Korean restaurant, go there, and just order bulgogi, which is again meat, and you will get minimum about four to five, and sometimes even six side dishes, and that's how that's like the introductory to Korean food, and from there you can get more brave and you can venture on, but that is definitely what I, what I recommend. Well, I'll tell you, I, I we have a restaurant here in Boston, uh, Koi, which is actually uh-huh. one of my favorite restaurants, and they have um, it's bulgogi. Is, is am I pronouncing that right? Yes, bulgogi. Yes. That's yes. what you're saying there, right? Yeah. Yes. So, so I, I've had that, which is delicious, but isn't uh, am I saying this right? Bibimbap is isn't bibimbap? Isn't that yes. Well? Yes, of course. I love. Listen. Bibimbap is something that we eat here, and, and and ironically, Trader Joe's makes a fairly decent one too. Oh wow! As one that's in a grocery store, if you ever get a chance, and you know the real stuff, so we, I'm going to hold you to this. You'll have to let me know if it passes the test. Yes, Trader well, Joe's. Trader Joe's. I'm going to have to try it because here's the thing. So basically, bibimbap 
is if you were to take all those side dishes, they're called panchan, right? Yes. You know all those yes. different vegetables that goes into bibimbap. Yes. Right. Those are the side dishes individually. That's what you're talking about. See, I knew yes. you were describing it, and I'm like, listen, I know this though. I know this. Different food. colors, different oh. textures, different flavors, yes. right? Of vegetables. So basically, bibimbap yes. is you get a big thing of rice, you put a little bit of all those little panchans, those side dishes. And you put meat on it, and you mix it up, and you throw in some Korean hot sauce with it, gochujang, and that is bibimbap. Now, see, I do everything but the hot sauce. I always because I made the mistake of using the hot sauce one time, and that was. It. Although I, I got to tell you though, it's not it's not a spice that stays with you. It hits you at first, and then it kind of slowly goes away, but. It, it's not so bad. It's not super, right, super spicy. Right, so, right, you know, right. it's it's actually very flavorful more than spicy, which I do like. But, yeah, I, I love Korean food, and it's just – it's really interesting. But you know um, what's funny is oh, – Sorry. Well, okay. Well, you, you say that because, you know what, like I wonder what makes – what is it that makes food where the heat comes – you get the heat immediately and then it subsides. Or that you eat something and then the heat comes after, right? And then what about those spices that burn your nostrils like wasabi? <laughs> this is Tony Schiavone, and we're definitely out of time on Duke Love Wrestling.